kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. I would welcome my guest, my, my co-host, Miss Jeannie Kay, but uh, she'll be along shortly. Um, but with me is the very best producer money can't buy, which is good because I couldn't afford to pay him if I had to. Hi, Barry. How are you this evening? I'm fine. I made you laugh during the opening. You did? <laughs> I did. Yeah. That'll be a first. I don't think anybody's ever heard me laugh over the voiceover before. So, uh, the uh, music intro before. So, that'll be a first. <laughs> <laughs> I actually laugh very um, sparsely when doing this program because most of the most of the things we talk about aren't all that funny. <laughs> I see. I see somebody edited the document. Did they? Mm. Yeah. Burn Feinstein. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think so you've been I, genied. Yeah. I, I think I got genied. So you guys a genie came along and magically changed things. Yeah. She did, yeah. So um, what you guys don't know is every week I go through and I put the show notes in it in a Google Doc for easy reading. Um, back when Karen Carey and I did this series, I had no idea how to deal with the Google Doc um, or any sort of any sort of anything for what we were going to read. So I would copy and paste them in the email. That was kind of a pain in the ass. This is a lot nicer. It scrolls. It has an outline. It's much easier to work with. And, you know, then the NSA gets everything pre-filed and uh, they know what I'm going to talk about this evening. So I'm happy. Yeah, you're, you're helping the little NSA elves. Yeah, I am. I'm helping the surveillance state. So, yay. Okay, so since Jeannie was so thoughtful to edit it for me, I will read this one. Burren Feinstein, that fucking bitch, <laughs> released their anti-encryption bill, and it's more ridiculous than inspect, expected. From the Are They Serious Department. They've been threatening this for months, but Senators Richard Burr and Dianne Feinstein have finally released a discussion draft of their legislation to require backdoors in any encryption. And it's even more ridiculous than originally expected. 
Yesterday, we noted that the White House had decided neither to endorse nor oppose the bill, raising at least some questions about whether or not it would actually be released. Previously, Feinstein had said she was waiting for the White House's approval, but apparently she and Byrd decided that a lack of opposition was enough. The basics of the bill are exactly what you'd expect. It says that any device manufacturer or software manufacturer, electronic communication services, remote computing service, provider of wire electronics, or any person who provides a product or method to facilitate communication or the processing or storage of data must respond to legal orders demanding access to said information. First off, this actually covers a hell of a lot more than was originally expected. By my reading, anyone providing PGP email is breaking the law because it's not just about device encryption, but encryption of communications in transit as well. I wonder how they expect to put that genie in the bottle. But let's dig into a few other bits of insanity in this bill. It starts out with this insane assertion right up front. It is the sense of Congress that, one, no person or entity is above the law. Two, economic growth, prosperity, security, stability, and liberty require adherence to the rule of law. What an absurd way to start the bill. As we've discussed over and over again, despite FBI Director James Comrie's statements, no one is claiming to be above the law here. When they offer end-to-end -end encryption, they're not above the law. They're just building a system to which they don't have the key. That's like saying the safe maker who doesn't keep copies, the keys to every safe they sell, is above the law. But no one requires safe makers to keep copies of every key. Next, the claim that electronic growth, prosperity, security, stability, and liberty is somehow dependent upon all of this is ridiculous. The second this bill becomes law, the U.S. loses a massive economic advantage. Basically, all of our technology becomes suspect globally, and the entire cybersecurity industry moves offshore. It will devastate American businesses outside of the U.S. Burr and Feinstein are basically offering a bill that completely undermines the economic prosperity of the American tech industry. This is especially insane coming from Feinstein, given that she supposedly represents so many tech companies in California. All providers of all communication services and products, including software, should protect the privacy of the United States persons through implementation of appropriate data security and still respect the rule of law and comply with all legal requirements and court orders. And they do when they can. But what this bill requires is for tech companies to undermine the basics of encryption to make everyone less safe. This is not about disrespecting the rule of law, but about building systems as secure as possible to protect people from malicious attacks. You know, the kind of attacks that Senators Burr and Feinstein keep screaming about months ago when they were demanding a bogus cybersecurity, really surveillance bill, to get passed by Congress. And now they want to undermine the very core concept of cybersecurity in the U.S. <clears throat> to uphold both the rule of law and protect the interests and security of the United States, all persons receiving an authorized judicial order for information or data must provide in a timely manner responsive intelligible information, data, or appropriate technical assistance to obtain such information or data. And if that's literally impossible, as is the case with strong encryption or end-to-end -end encryption, let's be clear here. This bill makes effective cybersecurity illegal. Think about that for a second. It's insane. And then there's the kicker. Nothing in this act may be construed to authorize any government officer to require or prohibit any specific design or operating system to be adopted by any coveted entity. Yeah, except for the entire bill, which absolutely prohibits the kind of design that basically all security experts say you need to adequately protect data and communications. There are lots of other issues as well. 
As Jonathan Zerdinsky notes, the bill is so ridiculously drafted that it doesn't distinguish between encrypted data and deleted data. Thus, if someone deletes all their data, companies are still on the hook to magically get it back. It also requires that any information that is still that is requested to be delivered in an intelligible format. But what if the information itself is not intelligible? What if prior to encrypting the data through technological means, the people doing the communications use some sort of cipher or code themselves to further obscurate the information? The whole thing is a mess and provides much more evidence for the fact that Feinstein and Burr have no clue what they're talking about on this particular issue. Of course, there are lots of clueless people but it's pretty disturbing. These two particularly clueless people have to be the highest ranking senators or members on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Perhaps, like some others, they should talk to actual intelligence community professionals who have been arguing that backdooring encryption is a bad idea and puts Americans at much greater, greater risk of being victims of computer attacks. Well, I've said it before. It looks like they are trying to drive Apple, Google, and Facebook out of the United States completely and put you back to the Stone Age. Oh, I think they would love um, to. Hi, well, thank you for editing my story. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was good. I got my second laugh of the day out of that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and here's the thing. This, this gets even more ignorant when you read that FBI story. You, you haven't read, did I miss that? Did you read that one yet? No. Yeah, because, I mean, and you should read that one next, because then people will understand why I think this is so fucking laughable. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. It's, uh, these people are literally, they're, they're, yeah, you, you everybody I know is playing with and the phone. And we must have the key, and we'll keep the key secure. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's everybody yeah, else right. I know is playing with a full deck. Even people who have mental problems are playing with a full deck. And I mean, like, serious schizophrenia and stuff are playing with a fuller deck than these two idiots. Oh, and, yeah. Our, our quote-unquote leaders, I don't look at them as that, but they're completely ignorant of technology. They are completely ignorant. Talking to them is, it's like slamming your head against a wall and getting them to understand something as simple as it can't be done. It's, it's amazing to me. They don't get it. They're like... <coughs> My idea for how they've come to this momentous bill is they received an email from a Nigerian prince telling them <laughs> what they needed to put in the bill. Yeah, really. Um, well, I mean, but it's like Blumenthal, you know, I mean, this Feinstein, the fucking bitch, um, <laughs> sponsoring this bill is about as stupid as Blumenthal sponsoring discussion yeah. he wants to discuss banning <laughs> e-cigarettes from airplanes period yeah, because yes. they're they're dangerous or they might be misconstrued as an ied device are you fucking kidding me well you know what i think i think it's monday and he needed to get his ugly fucking face in front of the cameras again that's I mean, one really, thing i've noticed about it's, this guy it's no different than cell phone batteries it's, laptop batteries, tablets. It's literally no different than a laptop battery because there's a bunch of our cells inside of the laptop battery pack. Yeah. And, and we really want we really, really don't want to go with the whole Boeing thing and the Dreamliner. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> but I mean, they they keep sponsoring and putting out for discussion all of this stuff, and they and they say things that even their favorite media outlets are are telling another story that contradicts what they're saying and what they're sponsoring. You know, we, we need these keys. We can keep them safe. <laughs> and, yeah. and then you have the FBI story. Um, yeah, but it's it just proves that they can't do it. They that can't do a lot of things. Just because they're a government entity doesn't mean that they're infallible and definitely doesn't mean that they're right. And it definitely doesn't mean you should trust them. Yeah, it kind of yeah. means the opposite of those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're... they're I hate to say it. I get this feeling, and and I have this friend who, he he got a government job, but he still kind of works where I work. So he comes in, he puts in a couple hours once a week, and he's totally useless. Since we all throw stock, you know, we all try to put as many floats of stock on the shelf as we can. We call him the one float hero. So he'll be there for an eight-hour shift and put up one float of stock while the rest of us are killing ourselves trying to get a whole entire truck done. Uh, and one thing I've kind of learned from this is even though he only has a job in local government, um, basically the people who work in government are like the worst of the worst. They're the laziest, they're the shiftiest, they're the shittiest, um, and they'll never get fired. So government is a really good place for these people. But government is completely out of touch with the way things are in the real world. And you can tell by the legislation these idiots are trying to pass. Just throwing that out there as an example. So let me scroll down to, well, let's go past the Spies in the Skies one. That's a, that's a nice, long, long, long story. <laughs> and okay. <clears throat> FBI says a mysterious hacking group has had access to U.S. government files for years. The feds warned that a group of malicious cyber actors, whom security experts believe to be the government-sponsored hacking group known as APT6, assuming that's APT6, not Apartment 6, have compromised and stolen sensitive information from various government and commercial networks since at least 2011, according to an FBI alert obtained by Motherboard. The alert, which is also available online, shows that foreign government hackers are still successfully hacking and stealing data from U.S. government servers. Their activities going unnoticed for years. This comes months after the U.S. government revealed that a group of hackers, widely believed to be working for the Chinese government, had been for more than a year infiltrating the computer systems of the Office of Personnel Management, or OPM. In the process, they stole highly sensitive data about several million government workers and even spies. Okay, so hold on just a second. Hold up. No. Now, wait a minute. So, the government wants Apple and Google and, and who, they want all of the people to, to provide them with a key that they're going to keep this key safe so that they can, they can access this data. But nobody else will because, you know, the, the federal government keeps their shit locked up so tight that nobody can steal information from them. Because... Um, Cause, cause, yeah, cause they're 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 the government, and and the other oxymoron that I noticed in this story already is that you know these people that that are breaking into the really super ultra secure federal government information system, um, they're malicious hackers. But when the government is 
demanding that all these software companies give them the ability to break into your shit. It's just the government keeping you safe. Of course it is. They're helping. They're helping. So, it's, a, I mean, it's a good thing. I, I just felt the need to point out the oxymorons in this story, but okay, go ahead, Chan. Sorry. <laughs> I, I apologize. No, that's cool. In the alert, the FBI lists a long series of websites used as command and control servers to launch phishing attacks in furtherance of computer network exploitation activities, i.e. hacking, in the United States and abroad since at least 2011. Domains controlled by the hackers were suspended as of late December 2015, according to the alert, but it's unclear if the hackers... Um were suspended um, as of late December 2015, um, if the hackers have been pushed out or if they are still inside the hacked networks. Anybody who's been in the network all this long, they could be anywhere and everywhere. Looks like they were in there for years and years before they got caught. God knows where they were. Michael Adams, an information security expert who served more than two decades in the U.S. Special Operations Command and who has reviewed the alert, told Motherboard. Anybody who's been in the network all this long, they could be anywhere and everywhere. For Adams, this alert shows that the U.S. government is still not in control of what's going on inside its most sensitive networks. This alert, he said, is an omission of that. It's just flabbergasting, he told me. How many times can this keep happening before we finally realize we're screwed? The FBI wouldn't comment on the alert, only saying that it was just another example of a routine notice to private partners provided in order to help systems administrators guard against the actions of persistent cyber criminals. This group of persistent cyber criminals is especially persistent. The group is none other than APT6 hacking group, according to sources within the Antivirus and Threat Intelligence Agency. There isn't much public literature about the group other than a couple of old reports, but APT6, which stands for Advanced Persistent Threat 6, is a code name given to a group believed to be working for the Chinese government. Oh, but, and, and notice it says believed to be. They have no fucking clue no, who they these don't people know. are working for. They, they don't have know. No idea. Is. No idea. But could hey, be a couple be of your year old kids. going to keep you safe. Okay. It could be a couple of 12 year old kids in a yeah. basement in Portland. You know, they just don't know. Um, this is one of the earlier APTs. They definitely go back further than 2011, more like 2008. Okay, so they got uh, was in 12 then, but that's okay. Well, <laughs> Kurt Baumgartner, a researcher at the Russian security firm Kaspersky Lab, told me. Baumgartner d declined to say whether the group was Chinese or not, but said it aligns its targets with the interest of a state-sponsored attacker. Kirk Storer, a spokesperson with FireEye, confirmed that the domains listed were associated with APT6 and one of their malware backdoors, and that the hackers targeted U.S. and U.K. defense industrial base. APT6 is likely a nation-state-sponsored group in China, according to FireEye, which has been dominant for the past several years. Another researcher at a different security company who spoke on condition of anonymity because he wasn't authorized to speak publicly about the hackers' activities said that this was the current campaign of an older group and said there was likely an FBI investigation ongoing. Several other security companies declined to comment for this story. At this point, it's unclear whether the FBI's investigation will lead to any concrete result, but two years after the U.S. government charged five military members, Chinese military members, for hacking U.S. companies, it's clear hackers haven't given up attacking U.S. targets. 
shocking. Shocking. State uh, cyber security brought to you by the Three Stooges. These are the people that want to backdoor into all of your personal documents. Because oh, right, to, they to, want give to, protect you, you. to give you some perspective, right? GCHQ. I mean, yes. You've seen pictures of the ginormous building that. Yeah, it's it's you know it's fully, Iron Man's, It's close uh, to half of that. What they're doing is monitoring government systems to look for hackers. Yeah. Well, these it guys. It doesn't look like talking. the FBI are doing the same. Well, I <laughs> think the FBI has a couple of twelve-year-olds in a basement in Portland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's you know. I mean, the government they're they're so on top of this. I mean, you know, they just broke into our system you know in in 2008 but hey you know we 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 noticed and stopped them really quick because it's 2016 and they're likely still there we're helping we it's a good we're, thing there's helping people well i mean it does give you balance because when um a british company talk talk was hacked last year right it took them a whole 48 hours to arrest the culprits. Yeah. Because oh. GCHQ have about no, half their capacity years? is looking at finding people. <laughs> and we're not talking it took them eight years to prosecute these people. They haven't yeah. even caught the sense of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you're, you're, you're the keys to the encryption that holds all your financial history and all your personal documents and papers and photos, that is completely Perfectly safe with the U.S. government. The government. <laughs> <laughs> it is entirely too ridiculous. I, I just wander into your nearest FBI office and just give them your phone. Uh, yeah, every go. time I see yeah. one of those commercials on TV talking about all of the fraud in, um, the, in, in the Internal Revenue Service right now, you know, the fraudulent tax refunds, huh, I'm just shocked. This is my shocked face. <laughs> I think what shocked me even more is the story I'm going to read now from The Intercept. And it's about the people in Congress that are running against the surveillance state. And how many are there, Jeannie? Huh? How, how many people are actually running for Congress on the platform that they don't like the surveillance state and they want to kill it. Uh, I'm going to guess at one. Uh, three. Three, wow. Three. There are three. But, but of the three, how many are likely to win a seat? Uh, not too many, but anyway. How many um, belong to the hacking group up to six? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. We just don't know. You know, we could be part of the group and we don't even know about it, which I doubt, but I just think it's fucking hilarious. Okay, meet the candidates for Congress running against the surveillance state. Uh, thank you, Lee Fang from The Intercept. A number of congressional candidates are making their opposition to the growing surveillance state part of their primary campaigns. In Orange County, California, Garden Grove Mayor Bao Nagayan is running in the Democratic primary for the open congressional seat vacated by Democrat Representative Lorena Loretta sorry, Sanchez. 
My dad was surveilled back when he was in Vietnam, says Nagayan, whose family escaped the programs that um, escaped the Vietnam War as refugees. Speaking to the Intercept, Nagayan also adds that he opposes having programs that give the government a path to spy on us. Alex Law is a young populist candidate challenging Representative Donald Norcross, Democrat New Jersey, in the Democratic primary. When asked why he's running, he quickly points out that his opponent voted against efforts last year to reform the National Security Agency's metadata surveillance program. Law notes that Norcross, who voted with Republicans on a wide range of issues, including the Keystone XL pipeline, is part of the New Jersey political establishment. Law says Norcross's votes against even fairly minor changes to the NSA embroiled him to run. Pramila Japel, another insurgent progressive, is running in the Democratic primary for the open seat left by Representative Jim McDermott, a Democrat in Washington. Japel has stressed economic issues, taking money in politics, but she also has a record of speaking out on privacy issues as a member of the state Senate. Last year, as the Washington legislator Later, debated the use of body cameras on police officers. J. Pell championed an effort to keep cameras on at all times, but to use the video only for police accountability and not crime prevention. Worried about state residents being surveilled all the time, she argued that the video should be deleted if no complaints against an officer are filed. One of the most high-profile races this year, former Senator Russ Feingold is preparing for a rematch vying for his old seat against Senator Ron Johnson, representative of Wisconsin. Feingold was the only member of the Senate to vote against the Patriot Act in 2001, and more recently has spoken out against mass surveillance. He told reporters last year that the USA Freedom Act, the law to reform the metadata program, did not go far enough in protecting civil liberties. Johnson, on the other hand, has touted his ties to the NSA as the chairman of the Senate's Homeland Security Committee. He also successfully pushed legislation to increase information sharing between the private sector and the NSA. While there are very few interest groups and no super PACs pressuring candidates to support privacy, there is an emerging, emerging bipartisan coalition in Congress focused on these issues. Representative Ted Lau, Democrat, California. Representative Tom Massey, Republican, Kentucky. Justin Amash, Representative Michigan. Keith Ellison, Democrat, Michigan, as well as Senators Jeff Murkey, uh, Democrat, Oregon, and Rand Paul from Kentucky are among the members who have loudly called for curtailing the surveillance state, including reforming the powers of the FBI and the NSA. So it's like three. Three people. Hey, y'all. Two of them sound forward. That's why I was confused. I was reading this last paragraph, and I'm reading down through all these people, da-da-da-da-da. And, and you're going, well, it looks like there's a lot of notes. There's three. Yeah, but your note was on the next page down, and I'm like going, what the fuck does she mean three of them? That doesn't, what, what, that, that three doesn't go with the story? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. yeah, the, the first one, uh, he, uh, he, he might definitely be an opt six from his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think people don't really appreciate. I have a lot of problems with the government. I would have a lot of problems with any government anywhere I live. I'm just, I'm not a sit down, shut up and do as you're told kind of person. I never have been. So I would always have problems with someone having any sort of authority, whether they actually have it or, or they don't. Um, and I would always speak out on issues. I think, um, 
would probably get me killed in other places, but I think I would always speak out on these things just because, I don't know. I think there's certain rights you're born with. You're born with them. They're part of you. They're inalienable. Yeah, I think the three of us, yeah, we we never want to go on holiday to Turkey or something like that. (laughs) Because we wouldn't make it back. Yeah, I, I think we might have problems there. We might have problems there. We might have problems in Saudi Arabia. I think there's a lot of places we probably should never, ever go. I'm never going to a country where they where they have caning. Um, you know, I, yeah, caning sucks. The way they do it sucks. But uh, I, I got to tell you, there. I think there's a lot worse things than caning. I think there are countries where you just disappear. I think that's far worse. I think beheadings are far worse. I think, and I think all of the things that we're talking about, beheadings and canings and stuff, I think all of that stuff starts out with a surveillance state. It starts out with a government entity feeling like they're losing power and wanting to consolidate their base and never let go of the power they've got. And then it just kind of leads to that sort of thing. It leads to the sort of extremism you see where people walk down the street and an executioner pulls them aside and beheads them. I don't really want to live in a society but, like that. But Saudi Arabia's our friend. It oh, gives yes. us cheap oil and everything. Yeah. Did anybody see 60 Minutes last night? No. No. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of 60 Minutes, but um, they actually talked about the 20 censored pages of the 9-11 report, and that was pretty interesting. And the ties to Saudi Arabia and Wahhabism. It was, it was one of the more revealing things I've seen on mainstream news programming in years. Um, it, it, was, it was groundbreaking for them. Um, but they did it without really getting into it. What, you mean like mentioning that most of the terrorist leaders in the Islamic organizations are cousins of the Saudi Arabian royal family? No, that was never mentioned. No, no, really? Oh, I know. What I'm saying to you is that was never mentioned. What I'm saying to you is inferences were made, things were implied, things were inferred, but nothing concrete was ever said. And I don't know about those 28 pages coming out. I, I don't know if you'll ever see them, but if you're actually interested in the people who did this sort of thing and why they did it, you might want to go to a website called who, what, why, and look back on, cause they did an investigation into the Florida end of it where the government's investigation sort of centered on Los Angeles and um, who's the guy we drone bombed? We killed Kim and we killed his son, Al Haki. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, he was one of the people that was tied to a lot of these nine eleven hijackers in Los Angeles. So that was pretty interesting. But who, what, why? Actually, with Binion Press, went and broke down everything that happened with the hijackers in Florida, like people they met and all that stuff and that was very interesting too um and they have a lot of ties like you said to the saudi royal family to charities here and there to 
it's just really interesting stuff. But I don't know. It would be nice for the people to sit down and read something from what I understand these last redacted 28 pages from the 9-11 report. They read like a grand jury um, document. You know what I mean? Or the very beginning of a police report. So it's things they think they've figured out, patterns they think they see, but there's no direct accusations. So why we're sitting on it is still unclear to me. Although, you know, we are. <laughs> and it's kind of ridiculous. Um, we're all adults, right? No. No. <laughs> No. All right. Well, we, you know, we could all be adults if we could get the nanny state to step back and we pulled warning labels off of everything. Then, you know, nature would do its job and we'd be left with a group of people that could be trusted to be treated like adults. And well, <laughs> that's being hopeful. But here is the thing, Jan. I posted an article on my newsfeed on Facebook. Did you see it about the garden? Mm-hmm. I had that up there like three weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's there's a couple well, of... Damn, like, why didn't you share that with me? You should have tagged that because I'm having shit fits over this. Because that's... That's... That's de rigueur. That's per usual now. This this is what happens. If your neighbor doesn't like the way your house looks and they're going to complain. It's, it's how it is. Unfortunately... Um, there used to be a really, the very first currency ever issued in this country had the Gardasen flag snake on it. Okay. And it was a coin and it said, mind your business. We have forgotten all about that. We've forgotten to mind our business. We've forgotten to keep our nose out of what happens in our neighbor's yard unless they need help. Uh, we've forgotten how to talk to people, but we sure as fuck know how to spy on them and call the cops when they do something that annoys the shit out of us. And we know how to get them into trouble. Yeah, I just don't, you know, and I mean, and they, and they, and they cited in their little rule, um, making these people tear out their garden, that it was non-traditional landscaping. That in it, in and of itself, floors me. How... It's, it's not traditional to grow food. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, that's no that. you can import you can import African and ornamental grasses and plant that, and that's traditional landscaping. But foods that grow natively in your country are now non-traditional. <laughs> um, okay, because this makes sense. To no one ever. Well, it doesn't. Yeah, for, for neighborhoods like that, they just need to have Vinnie Jones go and live there for a while. Don't know if you, you, you remember the stories about him with his neighbor. No. Neighbor complained about his hedge. Uh, Vinnie Jones nearly bit his nose off. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, he turned, he sent a lawyer's letter around to Vinnie Jones's house. Vinnie Jones turned up at his door, head butted him, and bit him. <laughs> oh. See that—that's who you need in one of these. Well, we call them nimbies. In I the promise UK. the broccoli would have t- tasted better than the fellow's nose, but that's something yeah. altogether. <laughs> but but yeah, Vinnie Jones has had some epic, um, I, I well, think... brawls with his neighbours. Yeah. 
No. I believe I he does live in the US now, so watch out. Oh. <laughs> oh, yay. So we got not only Piers, the fuckhead Morgan, we've got this guy. Oh, but Vinnie Jones is much more pleasant than Piers. <laughs> I don't like Piers. At least he's just a thug, whereas Piers <laughs> is a slimy bastard. Um, yeah, yeah. Piers Morgan is a And, and at least Vinnie Jones is quite entertaining in films. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Jeannie, do you want to grab that story and read it so the other people know what's going on? I just, I, I didn't even bother. Yeah, because I, I, just... I read this stuff all the time. It, it doesn't even phase me anymore. But yeah, no, grab it. Okay. People deserve to know what's happening. I mean, I, I'm just having shit fits over <laughs> this because there, there is something so altogether wrong about this oh my god you're bringing the neighborhood down you've got potatoes yeah i i i follow the off-grid survival guru um because they they have a lot of really cool stuff in there and it's it's not all about you know going to live in the mountains of see i kind of figured you would be talking about the tiny house thing no yeah yeah the people yeah about them making tiny houses illegal to live in yeah yeah, I yeah that, but the, this whole garden thing, of th this is applicable to a lot of you know, people. I'll, um, I'll like the, the tiny house thing. I'm I'm looking at reducing. I'm not looking at living in a tiny house. Um, my camper's bigger than most of these tiny houses. It really is. <laughs> right, so, and, and that's yeah. I don't rough it well. Um, so this was when this this was published April the sixth on the Off Grid Guru, um, but this this story come came from uh, Forty One Action News and it says a family in Sugar Creek, Missouri, has been given four days to tear out their entire vegetable garden or face a fine from their municipality. Their terrible offense: planting vegetables in their front yard. What makes the situation even more unfair is the fact that the ordinance under which the city is fining Nathan Athens and his family was just passed on March 28, 2016. Because of that remarkably convenient timing, Athens believes he is being personally targeted. He would move the garden to the backyard, but it doesn't get adequate sunlight, so the vegetables can't grow there. The new law says that the garden has to be at least 30 feet from the road, which isn't possible on a Nathan's property. That last word is what makes this all so ridiculous. It is, in fact, private property. A front yard vegetable garden might not be to everyone's taste, but that does not justify using the government to force gardeners to comply with other people's preferences. Unfortunately, Sugar Creek is far from the only city to pull this sort of invasive nonsense. While vegetable gardens were once actively promoted by the government, in the last few decades they've come under fire in many municipalities around the country. In Orlando, oh, sorry, an Orlando family was threatened with fines as high as $500 per day for their front yard vegetable garden. Apparently, they'd run afoul of a city ordinance requiring people to plant grass, shrubs, and other traditional landscaping options on their property. In Miami Shores, Florida, 
A couple was forced to uproot their 17-year-old vegetable garden in the face of city fines of up to $1,500 per month. In Oak Park, Michigan, a woman was threatened with 90-plus days of jail time for her vegetable garden. After she hired a lawyer, the case was temporarily dismissed, but could be renewed at any time. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, city officials actually destroyed a woman's vegetable garden for the crime of having non-tree plants taller than 12 inches in her front yard. She was out of work and had been relying on her garden for food while money was tight. And then there's Oakland, California, where you can grow all the fresh vegetables you want, but if you want to sell any of them, be prepared to buy a pricey permit from the city to do so. All, is it, all, <clears throat> all of these anti-garden laws are born out of two dangerous convictions. First, that the government should be allowed to regulate peaceful, voluntary activities that people do with their own property. Second, that not liking something is ample justification for banning it. Both of these are dead wrong. While vegetable gardens may not seem like a big deal, allowing this type of state invasion into our personal lives sets a terrible precedent for governance. You know, all I'm going to say is anarchy doesn't look like what you think it looks like. It looks like a person reading a book and a person planting their own vegetables. It looks like a person learning to be as least dependent on the state as they possibly can. And when you see the government stepping in to try and change that, you know that it's kind of a threat. Yeah. You know, so what that needs to make you think about is whether you actually own your own property or whether you're just renting it. Oh my because God, I've just yeah, realized. Yeah, we'll pay taxes and see how long it's your property. I've just oh, realized yeah. schools, you know, for child, for small children in the UK are promoting terrorism. They have little, Cause, they cause have little garden they teach patches, kids they? how to grow stuff, yeah. So, well, yeah, they're obviously ter- <laughs> promoting terrorism. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Well, don't forget, cooker bomb. Cucumber, cooker bomb, that little boy who needs to go and be reschooled to not be a terrorist for your old child. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you, you, how free are you really when they can regulate what you plant in your yard? You're not really. So, insane running asylum comes to mind. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, the insane are running the asylum. And it brings to mind the old adage, good fences make good neighbors. Because if they can't see over your fence, the hell do they care what you're growing? But big walls make for an international incident. Well, (laughs) you know what that guy looks like? Have you ever seen, um, they're called, um, they're called hohos. They have these white hohos. They have yellow icing on top their yellow cake and it's got like an orange filling inside if you turn it to the side it looks like donald trump <laughs> donald hey trump you've you've just looks sent all the nsa th- 
warnings flashing anyway you said yellow cake yellow cake yeah <laughs> i did i said yellow cake and i'm gonna say it again yellow cake in fact, maybe one week we'll just do something where it's nothing but yellow cake recipes, and I'll just read them over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, I stuck the link to the story that I put up on April 2nd in our personal chat, Jeannie. I'm very surprised you didn't see it. Um, but yeah. I think Facebook's isolating us all from each other, just in case you couldn't tell. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, speaking of sending up red flags, <clears throat> Chase freezes guy's bank account for paying his dog walker for walking dash. This is funny. And this guy is such a sheeple. The dog. Oh, he's a fucking imbecile. No, the dog's good. The guy, the dog. No, the own guy is an imbecile. Freaking sheeple. The guy is an idiot. He's an fucking... Yeah. It wasn't so long ago that we were discussing the problems with the United States Treasury Department's list of scary names and how it was being used to prevent completely innocent folks from using online services. The ultimate point of that post was that casting broad nets in which to turn suspicious eyes without applying any kind of X or common sense was a recipe for calling a whole lot of people terrorists that aren't actually terrorists. Enter Chase Bank, which reported a man to the authorities and froze his bank account because he paid someone to walk his dog named Dash. Bruce Francis transferred some money to his dog walker to pay for services to his pit bull and wrote the dog's name Dash in the notes failed. The processors at Chase Bank thought Dash might be a sneaky way of spelling Daesh, which is the mocking, insulting nickname used by critics to refer to ISIS, decided that this was a possible terrorist money laundering incident <laughs> <laughs> and stopped the payment, froze his account, notified the Treasury Department that he was a suspected terrorist. It's hard to know exactly where to begin, but let's dig in, shall we? We can start with the fact that Daesh is a name for ISIS, used chiefly by those opposed to it. It's an acronym of sorts, but it came into being because it sounds like a couple of similar Arabic words that carry heavy negative connotations. In fact, I've heard researchers and opponents of ISIS insist that we should all be calling them Daesh specifically because it pisses them off so much. In other words, it's unlikely, it's fairly unlikely that a member of ISIS or an ISIS supporter is going to call the group, group Daesh. And it's less likely that they're going to misspell their terrorist benefactor's group name. It would be like a neo-Nazi funding a group and writing not-Z-E-E-S on the memo line on the check. Sure, neo-Nazis are dumb, but if you care enough about the group to fund it, you probably know how to spell the group's name right, right? Dash, being a fairly common word, only pounds home the question of why didn't someone just pick up a phone and call Mr. Francis for an explanation? Because really, why would someone funding a terrorist group note that on a paper check? That's the stupidest part of all this. The folks over at Chase apparently thought a guy named Bruce Francis was funding ISIS, calling it Daesh, but misspelling the word and was noting that in the memo on the check. That's epic levels of dumb, which is why I'd assume Francis would be royally pissed off about this. But nope, 
We Americans have been conditioned at this point, which is how you get this. Despite the inconvenient mix-up, Francis said he had no hard feelings. Quote, I think anything we can do to stop the terrorists and the funding of terrorists, let's do it, he told KTUV. And if it means inconvenience to me and my family and my dog walker, then that's a price I'm willing to pay. Maybe it's time we just pack up this whole America thing and try something new. So all the dumb people that are too dumb even for government apparently work for banks. <laughs> and the people that are even dumber than that have dogs called Dash. <laughs> So it's a sliding scale. Yeah. It's it's the sliding scale of idiocracy. So at the top of the scale, you have Donald Trump, who wants to water plants with Gatorade, okay. saying it's what plants crave. He doesn't really say that, but if you saw the film Idiocracy, that was funny as fuck to you. I know it. Um, and then at somewhere in the middle, you have the owner of Dash, who is apparently a billion times smarter than the man who owns him. And you have bankers. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I do. I think Trump is Camacho. I do. I mean, when you look at his campaign, he kind of is that guy, right? He's the only one who has reality TV experience. When you look at this campaign, that's what it is. Reality TV. And uh, taken to a new extreme. I don't know. Yeah, because, yeah, you're going to write a personal check and, you know, note in the memo. What it's for? for (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, So my mother's birthday is on Saturday. So when I order her cake. So the next (laughs) one. Just write yellow cake. In the notes. I mean, and the next, the next one, you know, somebody's going to write a check out and they're going to put donation to ISIS in, in the fucking comments. Are you kidding me? Well, hang on, hang on. What, what other, what other things are called ISIS? I wonder <laughs> that are probably really know, pissed off. Notice everybody on the news anymore is calling them ISIL. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they, they keep changing, switching what they call them. Yeah, they need it, you know. The BBC the call them the, was it, the the organization known as Islamic State. That's what they're referring to us. Oh, so now they're like Prince? Yeah. Oh, okay. We need to next, give them a symbol. Next, just going to be a symbol? We'll just give them a symbol. Somebody, yeah, we'll give some... them a symbol. That, that'll, that'll take care of all of this. That's the organization formerly known as ISIS is now <laughs> represented by this symbol. Why does it look like a head on a pike? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing about terrorism. I'm sorry, guys. No, but we're it's po- been a rough week. Fun at terrorists, so that's okay. It is. Well, it's well, okay. I'm from the I'm from the UK, and uh, we uh, fucking yeah. whacked up. It's I'm okay. from the UK. That's what you do. You laugh at terrorists. Well, you, you have to. You, yeah. When when they strike, you have to go. Well, fuck it. I mean, the I'm UK. We had the IRA but, try and drop a a mortar shell on top of number ten. Yeah. And and yeah, that week comedians were making jokes about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you do. That's what you, you have do. to laugh at them. Yeah, I mean, when you provide them with fear, you're validating their existence. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, when you laugh at them, you're invalidating their existence or, or something. Something. But you're not validating it. Let's put it that way. No. You're not patting them on the back for installing fear in people. Well, you know, but... Uh, I, know. I, you know, and I've said for a long time, I think they need to get rid of the word terrorist. Stop calling these fucking people terrorists. I think That's we need to like, call them... We, we need to call them, like, well, what's the most offensive thing? We need to, well, douchebag is pretty offensive. Yeah. I mean, and that's to most people. I don't know. About, uh, and there's and there's mud flap, always, always with the smartest. <laughs> Thanks, Flappy. I needed the giggles. Do not laugh at me. Oh, did you Silence, see the, I kill you. Did you I see the you. Ted Nugent thing? <laughs> What did what did crazy Uncle Ted do now? No, no, he he pointed out that all the terrorists were like dirtying themselves with pig products every time they used a bomb, um, which he's right. You know, the major source of gelatin is still pig farms, and that's what's used to stabilize plastic explosive well, and so they're cordite and. Gunpowder and all sorts of things. So yeah, he had a little thing where he was like, "Oh, every time they do one of these terrorist acts, they're guaranteeing they're not going to heaven because they're <laughs> polluting themselves with pork, basically." <laughs> so it was quite for him. It was quite an impressive, uh, you know. So you're saying Uncle Ted said something that made sense without sounding crazy? Yeah, it was also quite humorous. Um, well, you know he. He does actually have the ability to reason, which is f kind of frightening. I'm sure you just spotted that. <laughs> no. I, was, I was on Facebook today. Oh, yeah, but, you know, I honestly, I try to take a break from the news cycle a lot now <laughs> because I find it so depressing. I'll see if I can find something uh, that I've been trying to, to just for you, but... read other stuff. Um, Read other stuff watch movies just because I can't I can't live like this I can't immerse myself in this 24-7 or I'll be fucking crazy by the time well this is what how many years have we done this two three I think I've done the show for three you guys have done the show with me for two I don't know so, I lose I lose track by oh. the time I get to year four or five I'll be out my damn mind I haven't even I lost track I never had track in the first place Time just seems to get away from me. Yeah, I, I can. It's my grandson is over a month old. I don't know how the hell that happened. Very pretty. It's a very pretty picture of the two of you, Jeannie. I can tell it was you from the T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I have several. Um, I believe that. I'm kind of surprised you haven't cut one up and had it installed on it on a jacket as a back patch for yourself. Yeah, I have I have several of these, and I I like my billion live shirts. No more teleporters, mud flap. No, no. <laughs> fuck you. Oh, just just for there the interest. Just, I was waiting for that. Just for the no. interest of everybody, there's well, that isn't the story I read originally, but yeah, Jim and I had a conversation very, and and I made mention to her that you know. Could we take the teleporters? And I was immediately expecting a response that I didn't get <laughs> until just now. I, I finally got the fuck you then. Yeah, that wasn't for you. <laughs> no, she said that and I was like, I 
what did I say to you? Are we in Star Trek already? Yeah. Have we yeah. have we gone post scarcity now? We're in Star Trek now. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Oh, yeah. if we are, I'm I'm quitting my shit job, and going to do something I love. So, all right. I am going to have to read something about Ted Nugent, who just. I don't have. It's short on the bright. I don't side. have a huge. I don't have a huge problem with Ted Nugent. No. I think he's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. he is. This one is humorous. Okay. Ted Nugent just pissed off every Islamic terrorist in the world by pointing out one huge fact. Hillary Clinton should rot in prison and not run for president. Click like if you agree. Well, that's just clickbait. Uh, Ted Nugent just brought to light one important detail that I guarantee none of these Islamic terrorists have ever considered. In the Islamic religion, pork and pork products are forbidden because the pig is considered an impure animal. In a Facebook post, Ted writes, Chimps and pigs, a match made in hell. Yeah, okay. Uh, Percy the pig for, makes for an extremely interesting read. I never knew pigs were most products. Every Muslim who's ever handled TNT, nitro, bullets, high explosives, bombs, rocket launchers, or been treated for cuts or injuries requiring stitches, taking antibiotics or vitamin capsules, has been contaminated with pig products. The ironic part is when a suicide bomber blows himself up, his body parts are impregnated with gelatin and glycerin from the explosive. Both gelatin and glycerin are manufactured from pigs worldwide. Ergo, they will never be accepted by Allah. Some makers of cigarettes use hemoglobin from pig's blood in their filters. Apparently, this element works as a sort of artificial lung in the cigarette, so they claim harmful reactions take place before the chemicals reach the user, enter the pig. Pig bone gelatin is used to help transport gunpowder, or cordite, into the bullet. Insulin, a blood-thinning drug, heparin, and pig heart valves, all vital. The complex workings of the global food and processing industry have ensured it is impossible to avoid pig altogether. There is no legal obligation for manufacturers to specify whether the gelatin they use is from a pig or another animal. When it is specified, it is often confusingly referred to as saline gelatin. So to all prospective suicide bombers, ISIS, and innocent good Muslims, I say have a nice day from Percy the Wonderful Pig. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Ted. It is correct, though. He's right what about that last product. So, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it is very correct. So, yeah, okay, so... I so once in a while he says something that's, you know... That's not batshit crazy. Yeah. He's really... He's really not off the wall, and there's, there's like, a reason... I mean, he's off the wall. He's out of his fucking mind. But he's not... He's not so far around the bend that he can't use reason and logic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. He's not gone full mm -hmm. Gary Busey yet, is what you're... Yeah, no, 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 no. It's really well, funny. It, it kind of depends on what subject, though, because there are there are a few times I've heard, and I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> did you just say? You know, it's really funny. My husband grew up a couple towns from where Ted Nugent settled. And he was like, yeah, you know, Ted Nugent settled there, and uh, people just kept away. I'm like, why? He's like, because he's fucking crazy. <laughs> so even even the people of Michigan know Uncle Ted is not yeah. your well, normal I mean, you know, person. I'm, I'm, I'm all about the I'm all about the right to bear arms. Yeah, I'm all about the right to bear arms. Um, and and people know that. Um, it, like Ripple, Ripple is the most non-violent person I have ever met. 
Ripple and I can carry on conversations about, about guns and not dislike each other at the end of it. You know what I mean? Um, but, now, even though I'm, I'm, I'm full on right to bear arms, I don't think that I need a rocket launcher. I don't think that my next door neighbor needs a rocket launcher. I don't so, think my government needs them either. Oh, but what if the deer's got an AK? <laughs> you should be more afraid of a deer getting an AR because they're going to use they're going to use that and just spray as much lead in your direction as they can. Yeah, but they really don't they don't even need it though. Have you ever have you ever seen that video of the guy that went went deer hunting and decided that putting doe piss on himself was was a good idea. What a fucking moron! No, but whatever he got, he fucking deserved. Oh, oh my God, Jan! This deer damn near killed him. I mean, this buck just trampled dish. I mean, it literally, literally kicked his ass, his ass, his knees, his guts, his face. It, it kicked everything. That, I mean, that's funnier it, than the guy with the bear shit. Because it's like, seriously, um, you know, this thing, this thing has the wherewithal to grow an entire rack of horns in the course of a couple of months. I think I'm going to go out in the woods and put all over me the scent of a female deer and see how he likes it. You know, no one said I'm going to get his attention. Not every hunter is an intelligent human being, obviously. obviously. I, well, you know, I, I, for a long time, we used, um, we always get these catalogs from the Sportsman's Guide. Mm-hmm. And, and I like a lot of the stuff that the Sportsman's Guide have, because a lot of times they have some really, really good stuff, and it's cheap. You know, Paul right. loved, Paul loves their, their flannel line jeans when he's outside in the wintertime up here, freezing his balls off, fixing somebody's phone. But... <laughs> I had to tear out one of the advertisements in there one time, and I took it to my job at my at the factory that I fucking hated and taped it up in my locker because just when I thought people couldn't get any stupider than some of the people that I worked with and the engineers <laughs> that we had, all I had to do was open my locker up and look at this advertisement. What it was was a, a blind for hunting geese. <laughs> okay. And what this blind was, you 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 laid out on the ground and you pulled this blind down over you, mm-hmm. and when the geese would fly up or start flying in, attracted to your blind, you flipped the blind up and you shot the geese. It was it was a six foot Canadian goose. <laughs> And you put your head up in the neck of this goose where the little screen was for you to look out. Now, there are lots of songs, like the 30-point buck, where it illustrates that many people who go hunting, um, they, they drink a lot the night before mm-hmm. so they're not, not really sharp witted 
the next day when when they go out to go hunting. And and there are laws in a lot of states that you can't shoot geese or ducks on the ground or in the water. They have to be airborne. Mm-hmm. I am here to tell you, some hungover son of a bitch goes walking out through the swamp to go geese hunting. And, and you know, he's a little blurry-eyed and probably shouldn't be hunting, but he is. And, and they see this Canadian goose, they're automatically going to assume that this is just like the world record goose. How fucking stupid do you have to be to intentionally go out and pay $300 for a giant goose to lay under? Um, Where yeah. people are hunting geese. I think I... Think I... I enjoy the idea of if if you're going to be hunting, it should be sportsmanlike, not sneaky. <laughs> I I just kept so, thinking this is the, this is the biggest three hundred dollars stupid fine I've ever seen. <laughs> plus the fact if things go wrong and you miss, geese are quite aggressive. Uh, and well, also, yeah, if a duck waddles <laughs> up to you and you're wearing a goose, that could also cause problems. Swans are mean as fuck, too, y'all. Swans are I'm lethal. here to tell you, swans will kick your ass. Yes, yeah, they are. Swans are mean. They're mean as shit. So just, but yeah, just, no, I just, I just absolutely cracked up laughing. I, Paul's like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, you have got to see this. Read this. And Paul's reading it, and he's like, who would be stupid enough to buy that? I said, obviously, a lot of people are stupid enough to, to buy this thing because they mass produce this shit. Like uh, I said, I, I, I just prefer being, it, it should be a sporting thing. Um, and, you know, it, it, everything should have a chance. I don't know. That's me. Uh, yeah. In for, for fairness. I don't know. Uh, somehow dressing as a goose. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does, it, does that mean people who dress as hot dogs are trying to attract hot dogs? Maybe. Well, what I was going to say is that's one step away from being a furry, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what's sad is I didn't have to explain that to anybody. There are people I would have to explain that to. I'd be like, okay. So now we have to go to Urban Dictionary. And... No, 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 no Urban Dictionary. No Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Ed the Green has scarred me for life with the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, after their show, they always used to do an after show thing because mm-hmm. their show was uploaded to YouTube. So they were very particular about what they discussed on their show and what they didn't. So... It, during the after show, Ed the Green would always break out the Urban Dictionary. And I'm telling you, Jan, I, I know a lot of things now that I wish I never knew. Yeah, ever. furries <laughs> was probably the nicest thing I could tell you about. Yeah. There's some fucked up shit out there. Furries are like the least of the least of the weird stuff. Oh, yeah, I definitely. What's, what's weirder are the people that um, have that... Do you know how a wool sweater feels? I mean, just against your bare skin, how like it just itchy. Yeah, you just want to screw. You can't wear it, right? There are people that um, 
are sexually attracted to that feeling. Whole groups of people, and they they go around dressed head to toe in wool, and they're called woolies. Um, that that is some screwed up. You want to see some screwed up pictures? Google images woolies. Um, that's something you never need to you know you didn't need to know it, but I know it, and now because I know it, you get to know it too. Um, that's whatever floats your boat is fine. I just don't know that I needed to see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. You can be sexually attracted to bowling balls. I don't give a damn. I, I just don't ever need to see a picture of you and your bowling ball. I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not a prude. I don't care what you do. I just don't need to know about it, I guess. All right. Now that we, like, went... Oh, shiny the hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, and everybody listen to the replay, you are welcome for the comedic include. <laughs> we kind of oh, needed it. That was only about 15 minutes. Of derail. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as last. Oh my god, I derailed that one show. Entirely. That's okay. That's alright. At some point I am going to have to do the Kiss update. And I'm going to have to do it myself. So We're going to see how, how many minutes I can get it in under. So do you want to do it now? Uh, well, I've got to Go into my Google Drive and get it. Okay. Yes, yeah, just so I know for the recording. Okay, sure. Why not? Okay. Uh, let me know when we're recording. We're recording. Okay. Good evening and welcome to the Casa update for the well week of four eleven twenty fifteen. Um, my name is Jan Johnson. I am a Casa board member, and I'm here to give you the Casa update myself this week. Um, the biggest news is you probably, if you have or have not heard this, I would be very surprised if you didn't hear this, but um, one of wonderful Senator Richard Blumenthal um, wants to ban flying with vapor products. So there's a national call to action for that. Um, Senate Amendment 3547 prohibits airline passengers from bringing electronic smoking devices on planes in their carry-ons and checked baggages will probably be considered as soon as early next week. Um, that's the week this week, week of April 11, 2016. The primary sponsor of SA 3547 is Senator Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, who is an outspoken opponent to e-cigarettes. He has earned a reputation for promoting misinformation about low-risk products. So that is the biggest news this week, um, that we have issued a national call to action for that. So you might want to head over to the CASA blog and take a look at that one, because it's pretty important. Um, if you think about just the inconvenience it's going to cause if you want to go somewhere or you have to take a flight, an emergency flight somewhere, the inconvenience and the cost it's going to place upon vapors. It's, it's completely unfair when you look at the fact that the batteries that are in electronic cigarettes are the same batteries that are in your laptops. And those don't as yet seem to be banned from being taken on a flight, and it, no one seems to be talking about that. Uh, um, also, this week we had issued, uh, 
issued a local alert for Louisville, Kentucky um, for um, opposing an indoor vape ban. Um, and Buford County, South Carolina also <laughs> take action to oppose indoor vaping restrictions. And um, if you're in New York City on April 21st, 2016, there's a tobacco harm reduction conference in Brooklyn. Casa's executive director, Julie Westner, and several experts in science policy and public health will be presenting. You can register and it's free. Um, and just today, we should a call to action for Rhode Island to take action to oppose a ban on vaping indoors, which is H7664. Um, S2293 is the Senate companion bill to H7664. Both bills would prohibit vaping in all enclosed public spaces in Rhode Island with no exemption for vapor shops. S2993 is scheduled for a hearing tomorrow, April 12, 2016, at the rise of the Senate typically 4.30 p.m. or later. Uh, the Senate Committee on Health and Human Services at the Senate Lounge in the State House. So uh, advocates could, should make plans to attend this hearing. Um, even if you don't want to speak, it's important that you be there because it shows support. Um, please dress appropriately and refrain from vaping in the State House. Uh, you can also send an email to the committee members urging them to oppose S2293. And I believe that's all that CASA has going this week. So thank you for being a CASA member and thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah, you're Done. definitely under seven minutes. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. See, that's what happens when I do a CASA update. Gives me more time to talk about the stuff that's really annoying to everybody. Not that this stuff isn't really annoying. Okay. So, yeah. So, is that a whole five minute, maybe? <laughs> no, less than that. It's about, okay. uh, it's about four minutes. Oh, that works. You um, rocked that one. <laughs> I, I don't mess about. I don't mess about. I just. Broad, broad brushstrokes. Broad well, the, the big story, obviously, was the planes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Everything else is not that it's not important. It is important. But I just, you know, I don't do the Alex thing. I don't dissect it and break it down. I can't. I, just, I, think, I think the thing with Blumenthal, though, is I think it's one more, um, one more nail in the coffin they're trying to put together for us. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, because common sense tells you that, I mean, if these things are so dangerous, then how can they tell that your laptop's not dangerous or your cell phone is not dangerous? Well, I mean, and, how, do they, some... how, do they, how do they know it's not an IED? No, isn't that their excuse for banning e-cigarettes? Yeah, quite easily. Might... Yeah, so... I mean, and it's quite easy to tell the damn difference. You know, they've got all these high-tech x-ray machines that your laptop and everything else go through it's still electronics folks um and in 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 reality you know they some kid and he is a kid because i went and looked up his profile some kid made the statement that oh well you know this is a very well thought out thing because it could be 
this could be an IED remote triggering device. Are you fucking stupid? Seriously? Number one, the kid's wearing... the Yeah, the kid's profile picture is a soldier in BDUs. Oh, okay. So well, he's... When you go look at his profile, Jan, it's some kid who threw up the picture asking somebody if, if they knew where he could find this stuff because he wanted it for his next airsoft match. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not fucking kidding you. I'm not kidding. It's so, yeah. So, so this guy is less smart than the owner of Dash the dog. Yeah. So basically, you know, you've got some kid saying, "Oh well, it could be." What, did you learn that in Call of Duty, little boy? Did you? Shut up and go home. Let the adults talk. Um, <laughs> a a freaking smartphone would be easier to do that with. Oh, hell yeah. Well, actually, I'm sure there's smart. Yeah, it's... It's security theater, and you know, and honestly, I think it. I think it. it it's a planned attack against us. It's just one more thing that they can add to their list of reasons that vaping is the devil. <laughs> well, um, it's very funny um, because say that vaping is the devil. Okay, there, no, I... you feel better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't, but um, it's funny if you look at the people that demonize us, they're the same people who demonize smoking and they're still trying to use the same playbook. They lack imagination. Now, you know, SpongeBob says, you know, it's great if you use your imagination. These people have none. These people have none and they're fighting a war with images because they're trying to tie, you know, vapor to smoke by how it looks not by how it smells so you know unfortunately different... yeah they need to go to the optician because their imagery sucks yeah well right but what i'm saying is they're they're waging a war based on stupid ideas with the same old rhetoric and what you've got now are people who aren't really thinking inside their box who kind of oppose them, which is a good thing. I'm betting that politicians have never seen such politically engaged people as they have that are vapors. I'm, I'm willing to bet that. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, in Europe, when the, TP, the run-up to the TPD, yeah, the, the big comment was, oh, we've, we've never had this much, you know, activity. <laughs> My God, upcoming, we've, we've, we've yeah. upset them. Yeah. Now they're just mad. Um, and it's a shame because really we should be paying that much attention to everything, I guess. But um, I guess should we give... Did I... I don't think I covered everything I said I would in the show bumper. Not that I record show bumper, and you guys should be glad for that, I guess. Um, imagine having to listen to that um, cause I know I said we would, Oh, how not to audit Congress, um, not Congress, but, um, that's a good piece. It's, it's, um, an opinion piece from the Washington free press, which has written some good stuff. Usually they give out like the golden hammer award to 
the government agency that uses the most money and wastes it in the worst ways. So this was a, a pretty good piece, and I've got to scroll down 47 pages to get to it. <clears throat> Op-ed, How Not to Audit the Pentagon by William D. Hortang. $150 million for private villas in Afghanistan, $2.7 billion for an air surveillance balloon that doesn't work and drags down power lines apparently, $8,000 for a single helicopter part that really costs $500, $50,000 to investigate the iffy bomb detecting capabilities of African elephants. These are just a few of the ways the Pentagon has found to misuse vast sums of taxpayer money. In February, the Center for International Policy released a report identifying 27 instances of outrageous military spending since President Obama took office. It totaled more than $33 billion of waste. The staggering persistence and profusion of such extravagance suggests that it's time to rethink exactly what it represents. Far from being a mere aberration in need of correction, this is a way of life for the Department of Defense. Let's take a little tour through the highlights of Pentagon spending stretching back five decades. The new nuclear arms race. The first person to bring widespread public attention to the Pentagon's money management problems was Ernest Fitzgerald, an Air Force deputy for management systems. In the late 1960s, he battled that service to bring to light massive cost overruns on Lockheed's C-58 transport plane. He risked his job and was ultimately fired for uncovering $2 billion in excess expenditures on the troubled transport. But at least his courageous revelations sparked congressional scrutiny and saved taxpayers hundreds of million dollars, millions of dollars, when Lockheed was forced to shoulder some of the burden of the overruns. Still, Lockheed didn't mend its ways. The C-5A problems, combined with a troubled airliner project, led the company to approach Congress hat in hand for a $250 million bailout. Lockheed's leaders cannily claimed that denying loan guarantees would cost 34,000 jobs in 35 states. The tactic worked like a charm. As Montana Senator Lee Metcalf, who cast the designing vote in favor of the ballot, said, uh, I'm not going to be the one who puts thousands of people out of work. By rewarding Lockheed Martin for its wasteful practices, Congress set a precedent that has never been suspended. A present-day case in point is, speak of the devil, Lockheed Martin's F-35 command aircraft. At $1.4 trillion in procurement and operating costs over its lifetime, it will be the most expensive weapons program ever undertaken by the Pentagon or anyone else on planet Earth. And the warning signs are already in place. Tens of billions of dollars are projected cost overruns and myriad performance problems before the F-35 is even out of testing phase. Nonetheless, the Pentagon wants to rush the plane into production. Predictively, Lockheed Martin has deployed, deployed wildly exaggerated claims that the F-35 will produce 125,000 jobs in 46 states. Based on standard estimating methods, the real number is something like 50,000. Perhaps because the average person doesn't have a sense of what fighter planes should cost, the billions lavished on them don't draw much attention or as much attention as a $640 toilet seat or $76,000 coffee pot. These kind of Pentagon outlays, first exposed to work done by Diana Raisner of the Project on Military Procurement in the 1980s, under, undermined President Reagan's position that not a penny could be cut in a then-record peacetime defense budget. But that didn't stop the waste. 
In the 1990s, the most egregious example was undoubtedly the Clinton administration's decision to subsidize the mergers of major defense firms at Lockheed, yeah, again, and Martin Marietta merged. Northrop teamed with Gurman and Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas. The Pentagon provided funding for everything from closing down factories to inflating the golden parachutes of displaced executives. The Pentagon's rationale for the spending was laughable. The new larger companies would lower their prices once they had eliminated unnecessary overhead. In fact, the increased bargaining power of the weapons giants and a significantly less competitive market instead resulted in higher costs. Perhaps because the average person, um, okay, okay, since since the September 11th attacks, companies such as Halliburton, hired by the privatizing Pentagon to tackle nation-building projects in Iraq and Afghanistan, have been responsible for some of the worst instances of military waste. Among a long list of Afghanistan horror stories, a multi-million dollar highway to nowhere, a $4 million gas station, a $25 million headquarters for the U.S. military in Hermland province that no one ever used, and the payment of salaries to non-existent quote-unquote ghost soldiers. One of the reasons the Pentagon has been able to get away with all this is that it has proved strangely incapable of doing a simple audit of itself. The Department of Defense can't tell us how much equipment is purchased, how often it has been overcharged, or even how many contractors it employs. Call it irony or call it symptomatic of the Department's way of life, but an analysis by the Project on Government Oversights notes the Pentagon has so far spent roughly $6 billion on fixing the audit problem with no solution in sight. If anything, the Defense Department's accounting practices have been getting worse. Um, perhaps the most striking instance is the way the war budget, known in Pentagonese as the Overseas Contingency Operations Account, has been used as a slush fund to pay for tens of billions of dollars of items that have nothing to do with fighting wars. This evasive maneuver allows military to get around caps placed on Pentagon's regular budget by Congress in the Budget Control Act of 2011. The reason the waste continues isn't complicated. A lot of people are profiting. Closer scrutiny would mean not just cheaper spare parts for fighter jets, but also serious questions about the whole enterprise. Should a country that already possesses nu massive nuclear overkill spend $1 trillion over the next three decades on a new generation of nuclear bombers, missiles, and submarines. Is the F-35 needed at all? In other words, an audit of the Pentagon would pose a financial threat to a sector that is doing spectacularly well under current arrangements. On its own, the Pentagon will never stop funding bomb-detecting elephants and overpaying for helicopter gears. Without a concentrated campaign of public pressure, like the one sparked by Fitzgerald's revelations 50 years ago or the toilet seat scandals of the 80s, the Pentagon's big spending way of life will never be reined in. Yeah, same old, same old. I urge yeah. everyone to watch the Pentagon Wars. <laughs> About the yeah. development of the Bradley fighting vehicle. They, a lot of the things that they're developing, they're developing a plane now that's so dangerous, any pilot that's ever test flight it has died. And they're still developing the son of a bitch. That's not Northrop, is it? Because they've yeah. got a history of doing that. Yeah, it is Northrop. Yeah, because like, their, their people... Starfighter was like that in development. 
So I don't understand how they still get contracts if their vehicles are killing people. Yeah. But what do I but know? I mean, a, the people a, that are supposed to fly them, not the people they want to bomb I mean, the shit out of them. Yeah, I mean, it's a TV movie, but if people haven't watched it, Pentagon Wars, it might be called something different over yeah. your side of the Atlantic. Hang on. Unfortunately, Michael Morris is right. If you don't spend it when you're given it, they take it away next year. But, you know, maybe there's a way to do business with the government that isn't dependent on what you had last year. I don't know. Call me crazy. But, hey, you know, we're already borrowing money at a ridiculous rate, so what the hell's a little bit more? Yes, the Pentagon Wars, it's based on a book. The Pentagon Wars, Reformers Challenge the Old Guard, by Colonel James G. Burton, who, funnily enough, is a character in the film. Played nicely by, by Carrie Elwes. Carrie Elwes is a very good actor. Yeah. Well, it's Kelsey Grammer is the playing the guy in charge of the Bradley Project. Yeah. Ah. It's an excellent film. But it's yeah. the ridiculousness of the way they cover up... Um, Problems in development. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. And yet it, again, it, Burton was another guy who lost his job for, you know, making sure the Bradley wasn't going to kill every soldier that ever got in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, it, it kind of comes down to, okay, everybody knows what my favorite movie is, right? My favorite movie is Fight Club. Okay. Oh, which, the, the third time I watched it all the way through, I'm like, okay. I'm does it make you, sense now? The first, I the first time I watched it, I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's great, though, isn't it? It's still pretty messed up. <laughs> I don't know. It's not quite as bad as Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder was a fucked up film. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen that either. Oh, don't go there, Jeannie. It's you're not missing anything. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent film, but oh my god, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. Is it real? Is it imaginary? Is it? Oh, who knows? Yeah, (laughs) it was. It was really sad. Yeah, and also military ties to that, which you wouldn't expect by watching the stupid film. Oh, Thomas has found a YouTube link to the Pentagon Wars. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Everybody, everybody watch that. What? It's it's funny and educational. Yeah. Have you ever watched Avatar, Jan? Yeah. My I... husband hated that movie. So do I, really. I I kind of could have done without it. It's um. It's not a bad film. It, it's just it's very lazy. It's very... Scriptwriters got the film off. Uh, and I get that, but and I, but, Paul, it, but Paul's like, you know, oh, it's all anti-military and blah, 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 and fuck that. And I'm like, no, 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 Paul. I said I think you're 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 attributing too much to this to this film. But if anything, I I came out of this <laughs> with we used up all of our shit, so we decided we were going to go take somebody else's shit, and so, that is um, not uncommon. Damn. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I just couldn't get over the the, <laughs> the horrible script. 
the acting was brilliant special effects for, fantastic but yeah, when they yeah. when they come to yeah. we're here to for mine unobtainium it's like oh people. my god <laughs> it was very preaching um i, I didn't too. really like yeah. that but but so i has anybody else heard about china which <laughs> thing about to, china oh and this comes from one of their papers that they're now getting a bunch of people together to look at how feasible it is to mine minerals off the moon. Oh, yeah, mm. but th th they're late to the party. Other countries have been talking about that for 50 years. I'm not talking about it, but I think China's actually got the money to make it happen. So, yay. they got to be careful because they'll get up there and there'll be a giant base full of Nazis. <laughs> I don't know. They're crack it. They'll crack the moon and fuck up our tides. Servers <laughs> will start protests. <laughs> I don't know. China's just hasn't got a very great environmental track record. They'll probably kill the ozone layer around the moon. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise. It's okay, me. they'll make a new moon and claim it for China. <laughs> Out of space chunk. They'll just rope together all those old satellites and shit that are falling to Earth and make a new moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny if you know what they're doing in the South China Sea. Um, it's still funny because I could see them doing it. So it would be like the first planet made out of space junk. God, uh, I hope people don't listen to this hoping to get really, really serious. <laughs> We had to start talking about the Orient because I'm here to die. What? Oh, shit. Very old note. Very, what is that? The movie about the dolphins? The, no idea. <laughs> the slaughter movie. The documentary about the slaughter. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I know the one you mean, oh, but I can't remember the name. I watched that. Oh, uh, when did I watch Not it? I'm for tuna now, huh? Uh... No, 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 this is that cove where they, they herd them all in and, and oh we my god. We have killed god. thousands of dolphins just to get some fins, basically. Yeah, I was, I was freaking horrified watching that, that thing. Um, and, and worse than blackfish. After, after watching blackfish, I don't think any orca should be kept in captivity, period. Um, I, I think it's horrible. Yeah, turn uh, orcas into homicidal maniacs, yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's not even that. You know, how would you like to live in, in a three-foot-by-three-foot space for the rest of your life? Because that's basically what we're doing with them when we keep them in captivity. You know, they're used to swimming 150 miles a day, you know. So, but yeah, so blackfish was, was bad enough. And, and, and I'm, and yeah, got to understand, I'm all about the, the eating of protein, um, you know, obviously. But th this whole dolphin, I was like, holy shit. And you got to understand that dolphins, and this is the kicker. Dolphins are the only other mammal on the planet that have sex for fun. Oh, yeah, they do. I, they, they do a lot of screwed up stuff. Like, and I know this because we have moat down here. You have two of them in a tank together, and they're both males. They take turns having sex with each other's blowholes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's just fucking well, gross. No. They're kind of assholes. They're kind of assholes. 
when when your options are limited, you take what you can get. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Enjoy the replay. <laughs> I don't think Kevin listens to my replay. I think he likes <laughs> Kevin. Kevin has listened to this one. Wow, my God. <laughs> they're fired. They're yeah. fired from job they don't get paid from, but paid they're fired. <laughs> I don't know. I like to think if I got fired here, I could go somewhere else at this point. Oh, I think I could. Don't know if I'd bring the audience with me, but I think I could go somewhere else. Oh, that was another oh shiny, wasn't it? <laughs> Holy shit, we have just derailed this entire fucking show, Jan. That's that's um, okay. I've this is why I only pick like four stories out of like the twelve or thirteen I stick in the. I know. I was reading the show notes. And I'm like, this isn't very long. I think this is the <laughs> set of show notes that I've had in ever. Yeah. Well. Um. Okay. The U.S. government is still pursuing a court order to unlock an iPhone in New York case. Not just that. We'll get to the other thing later. The Justice Department told the federal judge Friday that it would continue to pursue a court order demanding Apple extract data from a seized iPhone at the center of a New York drug probe. The move comes weeks after the government withdrew a similar request in an unrelated terror investigation in the southern California county of San Bernardino. Authorities abandoned their San Bernardino intentions after feds informed the magistrate presiding over the case that the FBI no longer needed Apple's assistance in unlocking the 5C model because it had done so with the help of an outside party. However, it became increasingly clear two days ago that authorities would likely forge ahead with this bid in New York after James Comrie, the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a man who lives on a planet made of candy, apparently, um with his hopes and dreams and wishes that all come true, um, said the workaround purchased in the San Bernardino case was exclusive to the 5C and not newer models like the 5S involved in the New York drug probe. The government's application is not moot, and the government continues to require Apple's assistance in accessing the data that it is authorized by to search by warrant, the Justice Department wrote in a letter to the federal judge presiding over the case. New York case is different in several ways. In the San Bernardino case, Apple was asked to build software to help the authorities unlock the iOS 9 device of suspected terrorist Said Farouk, who, along with his wife, shot and killed 14 people and injured several others at a county government building December 2nd. I love it when one of their own goes nuts. Apple said its security on the phone did not allow it to gain access, and that's why the feds wanted to create new software to undermine the phone's security. In the New York case, Apple does have the ability to access the locked phone running the iOS 7, but instead, it is refusing to do so, despite assisting the authorities in unlocking encrypted phones in the past. The government's legal action Friday amounts to it saying it would appeal the magistrate's February 29th decision, in which the magistrate sided with Apple and said it didn't have to comply with an earlier granted search warrant. The magistrate's decision will now be reviewed by a federal judge. The drug defendant in the case... John Fung has already pled guilty, yet the authorities think data on the drug dealer's phone might help them in the drug investigation. Another key difference in the two cases were the rulings by two magistrates. The government asserted that a 1789 law known as the All Writs Act demanded that Apple assist the authorities. The magistrate in Southern California case agreed and ordered Apple to comply before the feds abandoned the search warrant after they said they broke into the phone. 
In the New York case, the magistrate said the All Writs Act did not apply. Nothing in the government's argument suggests any principled limit on how far a court may go when requiring a person or company to violate the most deeply rooted values to provide assistance to the government the court deems necessary, U.S. Magistrate Judge James Orston ruled. An Apple attorney told reporters that the company was disappointed with the government's move and said the government was trying to set a legal precedent, which it is. It obviously is. And John, aren't you disappointed? The FBI didn't listen to last week's show. Cause, I know. You know, the, otherwise they could have contacted the Telegraph and got hold of <laughs> where, where they got that iOS 7 unlocking device Yeah. for, you know, $100. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Why would they bother? Why would they bother? They're not going to bother. No. Because they do want to set precedents. So, the yeah, as ACL- I say, they, yeah, yet again, they, they seem to want to drive all the technology companies out of the USA. Well, <laughs> no, they just want to make their workload easier and lighter. I don't know. Yeah, but what they're going to achieve is driving all the technology companies out of the USA. Because <laughs> companies will just go, well, screw you guys. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Canada. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, exactly. So, this is the story I stuck a link in chat. ACLU map shows 63 locations of ongoing phone unlocking cases. In case you thought the recently and abruptly terminated fracas in San Bernardino was an isolated incident, the ACLU has put together a handy map of cases around the country where the All Writs Act has been used to justify an order to unlock a smartphone. A total of 63 cases are shown, 9 to compel Google to unlock a phone, and the rest are being bought against Apple. Incidentally, this statistic in itself may yield interesting data when scrutinized, Is it because of the iPhone population or security standards or lagging Android updates or what? At least 70 cases exist where Apple or Google were ordered under the All Writs Act to unlock a phone. That fact was revealed during a hearing on the topic in October when a federal prosecutor was detailing the frequency with which the companies complied. The ACLU dug around and turned up the 63 cases shown on the map, but that's by no means the total count. Of course, there are the dozen other cases in which Apple revealed it was involved, and more could be lurking that were privately filed. We definitely don't think that this collection of cases is comprehensive. It's just what we've been able to find by searching public court records, wrote the ACLU's Josh Bell in an email to TechCrunch. There are almost certainly other ones that didn't show up in our search, as well as cases that the government is keeping secret because they're under sale. The orders relate to a variety of alleged crimes, often more on drugs related, and the phones involved uh, are of varying importance. The ACLU has helpfully linked the court order for each case when available, though no responses from the companies being ordered are included. In many cases, Apple or Google may have dutifully complied without infringing on a user's rights. If the phone was not encrypted and password protected, the warrant was in order. This extensive and nationwide backlog of cases where all writs have been used as a lever to pry open phones rather belies the Fed's assertion that it is a tactic of last resort. And even in the extreme case of that argument, when a backdoor into an encrypted device was supposedly the only way for an FBI to get at some critical data, it turns out the Fed had a trump card in their pocket the whole time. 
It's enough to shake anyone's faith in the government's ability or inclination to successfully navigate the world of tech and encryption if ever there was any faith left to shake. So, oh my god, John, the government lies. I know. It, it's shocking, isn't it? Because they're, they're looking out for you. They're looking out for you. Actually, Seriously, what are they going to do when they come across it'll be an Android device right. that some criminal has used but he's put a custom ROM on it that means Google can't do shit all with it and neither can any of their decryption tools because as soon as they run anything like decryption it's going to blank itself well, they're, they're just, their heads are going to implode or something, I don't know it's... Well, they live in the land of magical thinking I've, I've, I they am... probably, I bet they're not even aware that people with Android phones use customised operating systems Probably not No, I, I, They don't seem like the people that are smart enough to understand that people can write their own code, you yeah. know what I mean? They seem to think it all comes prepackaged in that way Um they're they're in for quite a surprise, they really are. They're yeah, heads exploding. I I don't even know. It'll lead to some kind of imagined crackdown because you know, every it time would the be an improvement over them all, trying to think with their heads because they obviously don't know how to do that. Well, they live in a fantasy world. I hmm. I think government is rather like the lords of the old days. You know what I mean? I think they're insulated. I think they're kept from people's opinions. I think they're sheltered. That they have no idea how people really feel about them. Because if they did, I think they would be freaking shocked. Well, no. They, well, Michael Morris, I disagree with you. They do understand that people can make their own guns or even grow their own food. They just don't want that to happen. They want to make it as difficult as possible. Because yeah, the more they don't dependent want people you are being on the government, -reliant. Yeah. Yeah, well, the more dependent you are on the government the easier you are to track. Now, um, and I was actually reading a really interesting story about these women who are on assistance. Um, and they're on assistance. They're pregnant. I think they live in Detroit. And the amount of surveillance that they're under is fucking staggering. You know, I, I don't... I don't agree or disagree with having a child on welfare sometimes shit happens that's fine but these women are under surveillance of a level on par with what terrorists should be under surveilled um, all their information their sexual history any sort of mental illness I mean it's out there and reporters can find it it's not even that hard and it's shared all over the place with people it shouldn't be shared with because you know, these people are dependent on the government and the government thinks it's perfectly fine to do that. Um, so, I don't know. That makes me want to be as little dependent on those fuckers as humanly possible for everything. Forever. I like my privacy. I don't like people treading on it. I don't like people treading on me. I, I really don't. It bothers me. And... We have this talk every so often about just because you want your privacy doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Just, you know, just because you have silent circle enabled on your phone or you have 
and end encryption everything you do doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong it just means you want the same level of privacy that you're entitled to when you pull the blinds down and you put the little piece of tape over your webcam when you go home you want yeah, that I'm, same it, level yeah. of privacy and everything. i mean i am an insanely dangerous criminal because yeah <laughs> i don't use my real name online <gasps> oh my god <laughs> Don't tell Facebook that they'll be all over you. Well, they haven't noticed so far. <laughs> yeah, but you use, you use two, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've been using computers long enough that I know that their automatic search protocols won't pick up what I've done. So, yeah. 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 So, it's, it's, it's a pretty disturbing trend, theme where the government gives but it takes away your privacy um and i know we don't really have privacy rights we're not really born with that per se but i think wanting to be left alone is a fundamental human right uh, not right but a fundamental human emotion right genie wouldn't you agree with that okay or not. No, but I mean, sorry. I was, no, I have my, um, our right to privacy is very important. Um, and I think that, that people writing it off under the guise of it's going to keep me safe from a terrorist <laughs> is foolish and uninformed. Um, Speaking I, of have, which, I have to fly. I have to fly this week, so I'm not going to yeah. bitch about TSA. <laughs> can I? <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, I think it's ridiculous the bullshit justification that people will accept for reasons that their government can and should spy on them. I don't think your government. I think you should have a government that's strong enough to protect the borders, you know. But I think in places that are too big, like the EU, like the UK, like America, I think these places are too big to have a single ruling oligarch okay and that's what they're trying to accomplish with you know brussels and all that fun stuff in the uk and they're trying to accomplish it with washington here and it, it doesn't really work that way there is supposed to be a separation of powers and there most certainly is not when you have the fbi the cia the nsa the FDA, when all of these people's people are making acts and writs and laws, they're not supposed to be doing that. They're not supposed to exist. Um, and you have to look back to the people who set these up and, and what they were thinking. And I don't know what they were thinking, but the person who set up a lot of those things also put a lot of people in internment camps. So... I'm not really fond 
of the history of all these regulatory agencies and the federal policing agencies. I, I don't, I don't know that what they do is helpful. And I don't know that even if what they did was helpful, that it's legal. So I have a real problem with it. I have respect for the rule of law. And most people do until the time where they get to be so big and so ridiculous that you have no respect for the law itself. And we're getting to that point. You know, there's a guy who got arrested. What did he dive in a pool? And he hurt himself and he cursed in front of a woman and children. And I think this was in Missouri. They put him in jail for that. And this was a law from like 1932. They put him in jail for it. Most people don't get snagged on that. This guy did. That breeds disrespect for the law. Prohibition breeds disrespect for the law. A lot of the things the federal government does breed disrespect for the law. And it's a reason why powers are supposed to be separated. And there's a reason why you're supposed to be distrustful of your government. But if you're listening to this, you already know all that. And I don't need to go into it. <laughs> the thing I take away from that is Scottish people really need to avoid Missouri. <laughs> Scottish people, genie. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a thorny issue. Not, not a federalist. I'm not an anti-federalist. I'm a, there should be no rulers. Most people, when they interact with each other, it's peaceful and voluntary. And that would be my ideal world. Although, you know, I've got some people that need to be told you can't take the phone in a fucking bathtub. Yeah. Um, I think there should be proportionate government. Not no government, not, you know, complete <laughs> anarchy. Uh, but, but yeah, it should be proportionate. It shouldn't be huge, be massive, to... and running everything. No, but I, I think we should, I think you should have a say. Yeah. And the problem is when government gets too big, it becomes a, a vehicle for the ruling elite to dictate how you're going to live your life. No one wants to live that way. I don't. I don't think anybody else does. I still say the old, the old Viking royalty thing. That that's that's. You, know, you will they do had the job, or we will kill you. Yeah, you messed up. Get the axe. Right. <laughs> well, it would breed respect for the people. Yeah. You know. What what is the saying? When people fear the government, there's tyranny. When the government fears the people, there's liberty. I think that's the gist of it. I don't remember the exact quote, but I like it. And, you know, I'll claim it as my own damn quote if nobody else steps up and tells me who <laughs> wrote it. <laughs> um, okay. U.S. government sets record for failure to find files when asked. I know this will shock everyone. The Obama administration set a record for the number of times its federal employees told disappointed citizens, <clears throat> journalists, and others that despite searching, they couldn't find a single page requested under the Freedom of Information Act, according to a new Associated Press analysis of government data. 
in more than one in six cases or 129,825 times, government searchers said they came up empty-handed last year. Such cases contributed to an alarming measurement. People who asked for records under the open records law received censored files or nothing in 77% of requests, also a record. In the first full year after President Barack Obama's election, that figure was only 65% of cases. White House spokesman Josh Ernest said Friday he was not familiar with the figures showing how routinely the government said it can't find any records, although the Justice Department also highlighted them in its own performance report. Ernest said federal employees worked diligently on such requests and renewed his earlier complaint that the U.S. records law has never been applied to Congress since it was signed into law 50 years ago by President Lyndon Johnson. Congress writes the rules and they write themselves out of being accountable, Ernest said. He urged reporters to continue to, to put the pressure that you have applied to Congress to encourage them to subject themselves to the same kind of transparency rules they insist on other government agencies follow. The new data represents the final figures on the subject that will be released during the Obama presidency. Obama has said his administration is the most transparent ever. The FBI couldn't find any records in 39% of cases or 5,168 times. The EPA regional office that oversees New York and New Jersey couldn't find anything 58% of the time. U.S. Customs and Border Protection couldn't find anything in 34% of cases. It's incredibly unfortunate when someone waits months or perhaps years to get a response to their request, only to be told the agency can't find anything, said Adam Marshall, an attorney with the Washington-based Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. It was impossible to know whether more requests last year involved non-existent files or whether federal workers were searching less diligently before giving up to consider a case closed. The administration said it completed a record 769,903 requests, a 19% increase over the previous year, despite hiring only 283 new full-time workers on the issue, or about 7%. The number of times the government said it couldn't find records increased 35% over the same period. That's not a good track record. It seems like they're doing the minimal amount of work they need to do, said Jason Leopold, an investigative reporter at Vice News and a leading expert on the records law. I just don't believe them. I really question the integrity of their search. I'm not even going to read the rest of this. Anyone shocked? No. No. I, I just want to point out, you know, if the if the Burr-Feinstein thing goes through, won't that mean the government's going to have to start arresting loads of its own employees for losing information? <laughs> you know what's... Uh, yeah, well, losing information... Or refusing yeah. to follow the rule of law because yeah, wow. of what they said at the start of their bullshit. It's like <laughs> these, these employees are not respecting the law, so they'll have to get locked up <laughs> for not yes. providing the freedom of information requests. I wish it worked that way. I liked it the time they told me it was going to cost like $20,000. I'm like, can I send you a memory stick? <laughs> Just... Put all the drone stuff about the Florida Police Department's on there. That'll be fine. But yeah, they want they want you to pay for photocopying and all this stuff. I, I kind of wonder. I mean, that's your tax dollars. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, geez. it's at that point you want to go to them. Have you not heard about email? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a way to zip up 
big files and send them through an email. Let me show you. And then, <laughs> then you have Podunk over here, where I paid four dollars and fifty cents for uh, nine pages from the Prothonotary's office today. That's ridiculous. But fifty at least cents a page, not bad. Yeah, well, fifty cents a page wasn't bad. I figured it was going to be higher than that. Well, I mean, at least they could find it. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it probably not a big enough office that can complain they've lost something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's kind of the point. This is why government should be small. It gets bigger. Didn't we do a story? Or do I just remember reading this? Didn't we do a story a couple months ago about there being so many federal agencies that even when they question Congress, they can't name them all? Yeah. Or they don't know exactly how many on. there are. Yeah. yeah. No one can agree on how many there are or what they do. That shit is frightening. That's and that's not even including subsidiaries. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Yeah, exactly. So, that should kind of scare you. Oh, the tax... The tax... Oh, God. Maybe because of my political affiliation, I, I get the feeling that perhaps people um, in the IRS don't like me. There are reasons for that. But um, let's just say uh, the year they held up my refund until I got the next year's refund, and then I got the previous year's refund the week after. Uh, after that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have a professional do my taxes from now on because fuck it. I'm not getting on again. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, the, the longest I've waited for a refund was seven years. Oh, the, the year that I knew I'd overpaid, I contacted my tax office and said, I think I've paid too much tax. And they're like, no, no, you haven't. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't argued with them for a few months. And then I went, it's not worth my time. Right. Um, seven years later, I randomly got a letter with a check <laughs> going, oh, in, this, in that year you paid too much tax. And you're like, I fucking told you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they don't they don't believe what you tell them. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Although, yeah, UK tax apparently now it seems perfectly uh, acceptable to say uh, you know, when they ask you loads of questions about your spending, it's quite acceptable to say it's a private matter. Oh no, hang on, that's only if you're a prime minister. Yeah. That's only if you're rich. Yeah. Uh, did you see Jonathan Pye's rant? Yes. That was particularly well done, wasn't it? Yes, it was. He, he, he lost it. All in it together, are we? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, yes, uh, that the feudal me. analogy was especially apt. Well, it, it's apt to whatever society you live in. The rich and the connected pay very little or nothing in taxes, and they soak the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, Until there's a peasant revolution, and oh, you know, how then they have to keep a low profile for a couple of hundred years or so. Yeah, I don't <laughs> understand how they forget. I mean, I do, and I think I've said this before. Um, a lot of the stuff I know about history, and I'm a real history buff now, um, came because I got really interested in history. 
when I started looking into the the 10th Amendment movement and stuff. So I spent a little bit of money and I went to something called Tom Woods, um, Tom Woods like history classroom. And I really learned a lot about the people who founded our country and, and what their intentions were and constitutional law and natural rights and Adam Smith and um, oh, a whole host of other people. Um, people you, you don't ever hear about brought up in history and what they did to try and, and change things. So I really learned a lot that way and that history is not taught in schools anymore. So. I, when I say I'm shocked that people don't know, I'm not really shocked that people don't know because I didn't get my education until after I was 30. Well, in the I UK, it's it especially funny that we have um, politicians that that seem to be pushing the limit on what they can get away with with the masses. Because, yeah, we, have the, we had the notable historical event... Uh, the English Civil War, which was, you know, the king was a crazy nutbag. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually cut his head off. Uh, okay, the guys that took over were also crazy nutbags. Hi, Oliver Cromwell. Um, <laughs> but, but luckily he died and the whole thing <laughs> collapsed. But, you know, um, yeah, and then you have the French Revolution. Uh yeah, like yeah, they seem to be missing thing. all the subtle historical hints. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not really surprised, although I am surprised that people who went to Eton, who obviously got a better education than I have, or that most of us in the public school system got exposed to, that they're so ignorant of history that they continue carrying on this way. Yeah. I don't know find it kind of ridiculous. Oh, I mean, uh, UK history is fantastic for the amount of rebellions and overthrowing governments that's happened. So, yeah. But they apparently ignore all that. No, Doesn't we'll just keep doing this shit. Everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I said I was going to do a Stingray story and I'm going to. Um, it's, it's actually like kind of late. Not really. I'm not going to do the plane story because I don't think everybody wants to have an investigative story. Although BuzzFeed News is doing some really good stuff, guys. I'm, I'm shocked and fucking surprised at the stuff they're turning out when they're actually concentrating on news. They're doing a damn good job. Um, but I said I would talk about Stingray, so here's a short one. And we'll talk about dirt boxes some other time. Maybe we can do a whole show with nothing but dirt boxes and yellow cake. <laughs> <laughs> Spy tool ruling inches stingray debate closer to the Supreme Court. When a Maryland appeals court recently ruled that police were wrong to use a secretive cell phone tracking device known as a stingray without a warrant, civil liberties groups cheered over the clear privacy message the three, pan three judge panel sent to law enforcement. The judges concluded that authorities could not turn the cell phones people carry into real-time tracking devices without a warrant, shooting down the state's assertion that merely turning on a cell phone equated with consent to be tracked. The written opinion, released by the judges last week, is also important for a few other reasons. The judges upheld the lower court's decision to suppress evidence gathered with the help of a stingray, 
and they strongly rebuked the Baltimore police for concealing their use of the stingray from a judge when they applied for a court order to track the suspect. Judges have been reluctant in the past to suppress evidence in cases where questions about Fourth Amendment protections were still unresolved at the time the evidence was collected. But the decision to do so in this case, despite the lack of a clear constitutional resolution when the evidence was collected, sends a potent warning to the federal and local law enforcement agencies around the country. Deception around the use of stingrays is tantamount to judicial fraud and could cost them convictions, experts say. This is the first appellate opinion in the country to fully address the question whether police must disclose their intent to use a cell site simulator to a judge and obtain a probable cause warrant, said Nathan Wessler, staff attorney for the ACLU's Speech Privacy and Technology Project. The ruling is significant for another big reason. It and other stingray cases expected to pop up in its wake could ultimately push the issue to the Supreme Court, something civil liberty groups have been wanting since the first Stingray case came to public attention in 2011 with the Daniel Rigdman case. There are some caveats around the Maryland ruling, however. The groundbreaking decision came from a state appellate court, not a federal appeals court, and is therefore not legally binding outside Maryland court system. And although the losing side in the Maryland case can try to take the case to the Supreme Court, Wessler says the higher court is not likely to take the case unless another court in the country weighs in on stingrays and rolls against the need for a warrant. It was that kind of split decision that sent the now famous GPS tracking case, United States v. Jones, to the Supreme Court in 2011. In the meantime, although the Maryland ruling isn't legally binding outside Maryland, its effects will still reverberate in the other states, says Wessler. By being the first opinion really dealing with this issue, the Maryland court has set the tone for this debate, and I would fully expect courts elsewhere in the country to very seriously look at this opinion as a starting point for their own analysis, he said. Jennifer Lynch, a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who wrote an amicus brief in the Maryland case with Wessler, agrees. We're just starting to see other stingray cases bubble up, and it's pretty fantastic that the first opinion on this case came out so strongly in favor of the defendant's Fourth Amendment right, she said. So I could go on and on about that all night, but I'm not going to. So, well, I kind of said it last week. They pissed off the judges. Don't piss did. off the judges. They no. cray-cray. No, no, judges don't really like that. They're not big fans of that. So, that's a good thing. Yes. Oh, do you do you want to play the Jonathan Pye video for people who don't understand but the whole... Yeah, hang on. I'll just... Uh, mess. Go find it. Why people... Yeah. Why they managed to persuade the Iceland Prime Minister to temporarily step down. I think they were afraid the people in Iceland were going to kill him. Right, here we go. There's a reason for Excuse me, how do you respond to revelations that your name has been linked to the Panama Papers? It's text shit, no, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. Walk away, walk away, walk away. So embarrassing. I hate this, Tim. I hate doorstepping and chasing people down the street like a madman. And it's, it's cringeworthy. I could be chasing Idi Amin down the street and I'd still be rooting for him to get away. And, and why are we calling these revelations? Again, nothing's been revealed that we didn't know already. Of all the politicians I've interviewed and seen interviewed in the last few days, none of them seem even vaguely surprised by these revelations. It's just now we've got proof. We're all in it together, apparently. No, no. 
they're all in it together, okay? They're all on the inside. We're out on the street looking in. Hello, it's cold out here. Can we come in? We've got to pay tax out here. Oh, just a little bit of warmth, Governor. Yeah, just, just a few scraps for a little urchin with rickets and a substandard credit rating. They're all in it together. Russia, China, Iceland, Cameron's dad, FIFA. It reminds us where he came from, and that's not the real world. It reminds us how they all got where they are, okay? He's, he's from the same planet as George Osborne. George Osborne is a man who thought he could solve the financial crisis that the world banking elite gave us by taxing hot pasties, which is a known lunchtime favourite, if you've guessed it, the working classes. We hear about how it's people on benefits that are the scourge of our society, but now we finally know it isn't the poor, the disadvantaged, the badly educated, the disabled and the obese that is the drain on our economy. No, it's the rich, the overprivileged, the privately educated. And yes, they are obese, but not on too many meat, potato pies and fizzy pot. No, they are fat on pheasant and port and the hopes and dreams of low income families. Okay, the economy, capitalism, it's supposed to be about progress. Okay, but we're not progressing, we're re regressing. We've regressed to the 12th century. We're back in feudal Britain, where the overlords pay little or no tax, but instead they go from village to village in their sedan chairs, collecting all the tax from the paupers and the toothless crones who are writhing around in their own filth, whilst Lord Cameron uh, declares, we're all in this together, now bring me your plumpest hog so I may roger it in its face, as is my aristocratic right. Perhaps now, perhaps now, someone somewhere in Westminster can, can, can act on all the rhetoric. It's been three years since David Cameron said that he wanted to, 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 to make the tax system more transparent, okay? Maybe now he needs to act on that. Because he seems to think the best way to investigate these leeches is to cut HMRC's budget. But, you know, like he says, when it comes to tax avoidance, it's a private matter, isn't it? Shit, is that him? Okay, with me. Oi, you! No, it's not him. It's not him. That's um, fake reporter Jonathan Pye, who actually manages to do a pretty decent job. He's really good at rants. He, he loses his mind, and it's quite often funny, but it's very informative for someone like me who's um, stuck with their head in, you know, American news organizations. It's nice to get a different perspective. Well, you like the financial stuff. You, you, you should really be loving the Panama Papers stuff. I kind of am. I mean, but it's it's so vast. Yes. It's so huge to read through it all, and you're going, holy shit, this is crazy. And it's so all there doesn't from seem a... to be a country in the world where this hasn't gone on. So yeah. No. Well, actually, America is a pretty big tax haven too, yeah. for a lot of people. So, you know. Yeah. People still, yeah, number one is still the British Virgin Islands, though. Of yeah. Loads of Americans, that's where their money is, too. So, yeah. Well, you know, if you don't have to keep it in the country and you yeah. don't have yeah. to play your part, I guess. And Turks and Caicos. Another <laughs> fantastic <laughs> place for money laundering. I mean, uh, hiding money. I mean, uh, having legitimate offshore businesses. It, um, I, I really think it's funny because most of the time when countries go to war, it's to protect business assets in other countries, right? And yet the government sends 
your young people to go fight these wars and lets these businesses take their money out of the country. I don't understand how that's a good quid pro quo. I, I don't. Not in love with the system of taxation. Um, I don't think so. You really want to read something? They're awful. I understand what Julian Assange is saying, and I also understand that they're saying that George Soros's fingerprints are all over this thing. I don't really care. Um, oh, oh, latest revelation. Apparently, right, the guy that's currently in charge of HMRC in the UK, you know, our tax agency, used to be a lawyer at the firm that dealt with the paperwork for David Cameron's dad's offshore fund. Gotta love it. They're, they really are Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. They really are all connected to each other. <laughs> and, um, what should disturb you about that, whether you believe the stuff in the Panama Papers or you don't, and I do believe there's a lot of money that politicians and rich people have pulled out of their countries and stuck in a tax haven so it doesn't get sucked away. I, I understand, believe me, you know. Shit, I, I give a lot of money to charity, so, and I do it pre-tax, so it lowers my taxable income. I'm not stupid. The laws are written a certain way. I'm going to use them to my advantage, too. But um, it, people are doing stuff that's borderline legal. But ethically there's real problems with it and it's a now I, I like what david cameron said it's a private matter so basically when the irs gives me some shit i can look at them and go well it's a private matter what i what i do with my money is a private matter how fast do you reckon you end up in a jail cell oh pretty fucking quick i <laughs> yeah yep oh yeah because because you're not worth millions so yeah no i'm not it's cheaper to just stick me in jail and make me stamp license plates for the rest of my life or make cheap plastic tumblers or whatever because that's what we do um but yeah thomas i don't i don't know what, what are you hearing there that it's a pr stunt pr stunt from delaware i don't know i've never heard that Um, I don't even know. But yeah, the whole the whole tax haven thing. I mean, it's the main reason why giant corporations don't pay any tax anywhere. Yeah. Because all the money's in these havens. And but they're paying tax there, honest gov. At <laughs> most of these places where some of them have. You know, corporation tax as high as 0.1%. Yeah. I guess. You know. Well, I loved it the year that GE paid in less in taxes than I did. Yeah. $683 they paid one year. Well, well, Starbucks in the UK, which is the first last year, according to what they officially gave our tax inspectors should technically have got a rebate but they yeah. you know they, they didn't claim a rebate on their taxes starbucks in the uk yeah. 
Because apparently they didn't sell any coffee. (laughs) You know, I, um, it really is all a big corrupt ball of wax. When you look at the derivatives market, there's more money in the derivatives market than there is money sitting in computer systems now than has ever been printed in the history of man. How is that possible? And there's more debt than all of the derivatives. So who exactly do we owe all this to in this magical shell game we call taxation? I'm going to call it theft because kind of is. Um, it takes from the poor people and leaves the rich alone. It's interesting stuff the way things are going. I don't know. Well, as, as I've said, you blame certain English kings. <laughs> who were the ones who came up with the idea of modern taxation? Basically, so they go off and play war. I need an army to go and fight a war. But but I've used all my money. <laughs> I know. I'll take it off everyone else. They all have to pay me a percentage of what they've got. So that I can pay for an army and go off and fight a war. That's basically where most of it originates from, the modern tax system. Oh, I don't know. I think our modern tax code came from the bowels of hell itself. I really do. Trying and filing your own taxes is just ridiculous. Nobody I know who's sane wants to do it. Well, that's that, <laughs> sensibly in the UK, they've got a two-tier tax system. Mm-hmm. They have the normal, which they call pay-as-you-earn, P-A-Y-E, which is automated. You're employed by a company, and the company automatically sends all the information to the tax office. The tax office to calculate your tax. Nobody has to do anything, right? It's basically all done in computers, unless there's a problem. And then there's self-employed people and large corporations and big businesses where, yeah, they employ teams of accountants <laughs> to <laughs> to claim back every, well, well, as I say, Starbucks. We haven't paid any tax, but we didn't claim back the <laughs> the amount we should be paid because we didn't make any money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, at least in the UK, yeah, the the average the average worker doesn't have to fill out a tax form. It's only people that work for themselves that have to fill out tax forms. And <sighs> me as an employee, I could still put in tax refund claims as well if I thought I needed money back, or I'd paid too much. As I say, it can take seven, eight years, maybe a decade. But, you know, you eventually get the money back. Uh, I don't know. All I can say is it's a really convoluted system when I've been looking at it, and I'm not stupid. I'm not George W. Bush here, but I'm not stupid, right? I've looked at this system for years, and I like money. So I like to try to untangle it and get down to the fungible bits and why things are the way they are. I still can't unravel this shit. This is like common core math shit. <laughs> it really is. And um, I'm not that good with that stuff. I like, I like my math to make sense and have reason and logic behind it. And none of this new modern banking makes any sense to me. Do you know... What's really fucked up about fiat currency. Every seven years, right, 
from from biblical times. They used to have this thing called the debt jubilee. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. And they had to because it's not like bartering or trading goods. Um, fiat currency, currency backed by nothing, always goes to zero about every 10 to 12 years. And then it's just worth less and less and less. So every seven years in biblical times, they would have something called the debt jubilee where everybody forgave everybody their debts and everybody started fresh. Kind of like what Fight Club tried to do with blowing up the, the credit agencies yeah. in the film Fight Club, which would have reset the clocks to zero and restarted everything. Which is really good in theory. I'm kind of fine with that. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I think if nothing else... We need to make every form of currency usable and legal and uh, even stuff not backed by the government. Um, because if not, you're going to have a really thriving black market. Um, you're going to have a huge thriving market in Bitcoin. Nobody, no government's going to get a kick of any of this. I don't know. There's so much wrong with this system. I don't have enough hours to list it all. But it needs fixing. And... Debt Jubilee doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. I, I put a link in chat about tax. Okay. Don't know if you've heard of Black Books. No. Comedy TV show. Okay. <laughs> that That's a short clip about the guy trying to fill out his um, <laughs> tax forms. Oh, try filling out yours this year. They're in, in America, they're so bad. And the reason they're worse this year than they've been in every other year and I'm pretty sure everybody knows this, but um, H&R Block had more lobbyists yapping at the congressman this year about tax code than anybody else. So they took the tax code that they were supposed to be simplifying and they made it clear as mud again for us, the poor people who have to try to file Whenever taxes. Whenever a government says we're going to simplify something, you know it's going to end up twice as bad. Oh, yeah. No. Simplify Minimum something. twice as bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. Because, yeah, the UK government did that as well. Uh, when Cameron came in, and he's saying it again now, oh, I'm going to close all these tax loopholes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and to be fair, he did close some tax loopholes. Mm -hmm. He also legalized dozens of others. <laughs> so, yeah. Instead of it now being kind of dodgy to do certain things some were closed and no you can't do that anymore it's now illegal and others they basically went oh no that's fine well that's legal now that's that's uh that's normal which so doesn't get enough media attention funnily enough it's like um, it's something like for every loophole they've closed so far they've basically legalized about a dozen so yeah Lovely. That sounds about right. Yeah. Legalize a dozen, clear up one, and it, the ones they clear up will be the ones that affect you. Yeah, most likely. And I guess, I don't know, I guess, is that it for this evening? Do you feel like we've we've done enough? Well, it's up to you, sure, sure. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm starting to get a headache, that's why I'm asking. I started talking about money <laughs> and, uh, Temple throbbing. I started getting a headache. Yeah. yeah, that's not good. So I started talking about money and banking, and yeah, that's 
I probably need to stay away from that subject. <laughs> I guess that's it. Um, Muppets and effort. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Ammoseek.com. Good night, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.